Welcome, everyone, to episode 35 of our NCAA social series. I'm Andy Katz. Pleased to be joined by NCAA Senior Vice President Dan Gavitt, as well as Mitch Barnhart, the Kentucky Athletic Director and the Chair of the NCAA Men's Basketball Selection Committee for the 2021 NCAA Tournament. Uh, also, of course, everyone out there should know, if they didn't pay attention uh, earlier, uh, that uh, the announcement was made that the 2021 NCAA Tournament uh, will be held in one region instead of across the country. and Ultimately, it would be, what, 14 sites when you add in Dayton and the Final Four. Uh, but there's a lot to do once that decision was made. Uh, first, obviously, everyone had to be notified uh, across the country in all these different sites. So let me start with you, Dan. Now that announcement has been made, what has happened even in the hours and the days since then in terms of the next immediate steps? Well, good to be with you, Andy, and uh, we're really uh, feel good about the announcement that was made uh, about this the 2021 tournament. The, the committee's done some exceptional work on contingency planning, and um, you know there was great uh, disappointment and empathy, obviously, for the 13 host institutions and conferences that would otherwise have hosted uh, first four through the regionals, and not being able to go to those sites this year. And as you know, uh, moving now towards a single geographic area for the entirety of the tournament. Um, there's an awful lot of work still to be done to, to make that happen. The execution around this plan is really critical. Um, so in the days since the announcement, we've continued conversations um, with uh, folks in Indianapolis, as well as the state of Indiana. We acknowledge that that is our, our uh, primary objective right now for ex uh, consideration and exploration is starting and finishing the tournament in Indianapolis where we're scheduled for the final four already. And uh, there's an awful lot of details to work out with competition venues, practice sites, hotels, and of course, most importantly, um, working with local health officials on medical protocols and making sure that we're all aligned uh, to keep everyone safe and healthy for the conduct of the 2021 championship. So many details still to be worked through. We expect it's going to take uh, several weeks in order to be able to work out those details and get confirmation uh, and commitments that we need. But the work is ongoing, and now the execution is what's so key. Uh, before I get to Mitch, I, I just want to follow that up. That um, now that we have a little bit of chance for a deeper dive, and that you know, so many critics, if you will, uh, thought, well, you know, why do you got to make this decision now? Why don't you just wait and see what happens with the virus? Maybe in February you decide to do something else. And I don't think people fully grasp everything that you know that you have to do to just put on a tournament let alone a potential NCAA tournament uh, across the country just enlighten us a little about why you have to make a decision like this at least four months in advance well Andy it's a great question the NCAA tournament uh, is a very complex event uh, 68 teams 67 games 14 different sites in 14 different states usually. In a normal year, over 600,000 fans attend. And the complexity with our broadcast partners, getting all those games broadcast. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a massive event in scale and scope. I would say in many ways, it's, it's much closer to a World Cup or even an Olympics in some you know, small way uh, than it is like any other domestic event. So. You can't wait too long to make in order to make plans um, and contingencies. And importantly, a big part of that was uh, the notification in an appropriate way 
of our host that you know that we rely on every year. You know, you can't do the NCAA tournament without the institutions and conferences that host the early rounds of the tournament. And we go back to them frequently. Um, and we look forward to going back to those that are disappointed can't be there this year. And so out of fairness to them, making sure they are notified in an appropriate way in November so they can make other plans was critically important uh, to the committee and, and being empathetic to the disappointment there. And then of course, moving ahead with the, with the planning of a very different tournament that normally takes, you know, several years to, to plan and, and in, in more detail, um, a full year on a month to month basis, planning every round of the tournament. We've got a much shorter time frame to do that now between now and March and April, but we're still confident that we will and it'll be great, just different this year in that single geographic area. So Mitch, uh, it's rare that decisions are universally applauded, uh, but uh, not that I have the entire pulse on uh, the membership, the media, and the stakeholders, but I didn't hear anything negative. But what did you hear? Uh, decisions in my world are never universally applauded. So that uh, any any kind of victories is is, is great. Um, the the response has been really really good. Uh, I think people have appreciated the effort that went into it, the thought process that went into it. Huge void last year not having the tournament. So to be able to have a tournament um, planned this year and a destination for our tournament is is really really important. That that was. That was important for us. Dan's made the comment many, many times that the virus, we don't control the virus, the virus controls us. And so we're trying to find our way through a really, really unique time in what we're doing. And it's gonna take an amazing amount of preparation, as Dan said, uh, to get to a spot. But this, this tournament is very, very important to the membership. It's very, very important to the game of college basketball. And I felt like our student athletes missed it last year and did not have the opportunity to fulfill some dreams and aspirations. And, Teams were left just hoping and, and looking for something else. We think this provides that opportunity for them this year. We want to give that to them, and this is our best opportunity, we think, to get that done. Mitch, what was the role of the uh, selection committee? Well, the committee has been uh, has, is sort of like clockwork over the five years I've been on it, those four and a half years. You, you meet in, in regular order, and this has been anything but that. Um, we had three parallel working groups based upon different components of the tournament. And our committee was broken up, led by a staff member from NCAA to guide us through conversations. And over the last four months, regular phone calls from those committees, uh, regular phone calls um, or those working groups, regular phone calls from the committee as a whole. And uh, now we've, we've just been planning almost every other week uh, for this kind of a conversation. And uh, so amazing amount of preparation and work has gone into it by some really, really wonderful people, commissioners, athletic directors, NCAA staff, um, volunteers in cities, giving us advice and people talking to us through um, the infectious disease pieces of what we have to deal with, watching the NBA, watching Major League Baseball, NFL, professional sports organizations and other things that were put in play. All of that went into a decision making, which is just as Dan said, at the foundational level of what we're trying to, to do to put this tournament on. You know, Dan, uh, as Mitch just said, the virus controls us, not the other way around. And uh, I, I do think that there might have been a little bit of a perception out there that, okay, things have gotten really bad. It's surging. So now we make this decision. But clearly, as Mitch said, this was in the planning. And we didn't know, you know, how bad it would be in November, December. Certainly epidemiologists thought so, but no one knew for sure. How early was this in the planning that, we may have to make this call, even if the virus has dipped 
to an acceptable level was going to go away, obviously. But even if it had gone a little bit down, like it did, maybe you could argue in September. Well, you know, the committee's been working on this for a couple of months now, as Mitch mentioned, you know, meeting on a, every couple of weeks, if not a weekly basis, the contingency plan, not knowing where the contingencies would ultimately net out, but knowing that we had to take a very deep and deliberate dive on how to do this championship safely and responsibly. And through that incredible deliberation of many different alternatives and looking at the success of other events, as Mitch noted with the NBA, the NBA with NHL, Major League Baseball, one of the common denominators of all those things is significantly reduced travel. And either in operating the entire of those events in a single site or in no more than two in the NHL and Major League Baseball's example. And so once the committee came to realize through, you know, get the guidance from our medical advisory group, looking at those other different um, success stories of other events, it became a just recently and as a consensus with the committee that going to 14 different geographic locations, 14 different counties with the restrictions that might be in place locally there, travel, quarantine, testing, just not going to make it feasible to conduct the tournament in any kind of normal fashion this year. That, you know, getting all the teams in one location, securing their safety, making sure that the protocol was, was sound and that both preparation in terms of the practice as well as ultimately competition took place in one location without having to move around the country from start of the tournament to determination of the national champion was really the only feasible way it was going to happen. And once they realized that, it was time to you know make that notification of the hosts and to move forward in planning that, that way. You know, both of you mentioned uh, various events that have already occurred. Mitch, I'm, I'm curious, like to me, kind of feels more like what we saw with baseball, uh, with the World Series, and then the U.S. Open in New York in that, unlike the NBA, where everyone literally was in a, a bubble, this is a controlled environment where you may stay at a hotel property outside of your playing area, then you have to get there in obviously a controlled manner, and then you have your playing area, that it was basically fixed places, maybe two, maybe three, uh, to accomplish this event. How much did you look at what baseball did in Texas for the World Series and then the U.S. Open in New York in, a, in kind of a similar way that we may find ourselves with March Madness? I'll let Dan also jump in here. But I think that clearly those have been great examples to, to take note of. Um, even as we've traveled this fall in our fall sports programs at, at, on the college level, we've learned an awful lot about different ways that we have to address people coming together, whether those are teams or volunteers or staffing or, or um, media people, whatever that looks like, it is very, very unique um, to this tournament. It, there is something completely different about it. So I think the term that you use, controlled environment, really, really important. It's not a bubble because we are not in, in that kind of an environment, but we are, as Dan and you have both used the term, a controlled environment gives us a chance to be able to be able to control things we can control the virus we can't and if and then we try and work our way to um obviously a, a final four and a national champion but we've learned an awful lot about distancing on planes number of buses necessary to to get teams to and from just in this fall i think it's been unbelievably helpful for college administrators to figure that out then you figure out what a what is a training a training table or a pregame meal look like and how do you how do you get everybody around a table to be able to eat a dinner 
and how do you bring people into a facility and get them out and how do you sit them on a bench? And we're going through that in preparations for our regular season basketball games now. How do you put all those pieces together? So knowledge from all these other uh, protocols that have been put in place from other sports organizations and other tournaments, incredibly helpful. And Dan did a great job of bringing that information to the committee and give us opportunities coupled with what I think we learned early on gives us a chance to, to, to move forward. Dan, I'll refer to you in terms of uh, your... 100% right, Mitch. And, and uh, Andy, you know, U.S. Open is a good example. We've had significant conversations with officials at the U.S. Open um, because it's a good example uh, of a controlled environment that was very successful. Um, our colleagues at the NBA and WNBA have been very helpful as well in sharing information around what they did. And, and while it has been, you know, Durham teamed a bubble and, and it largely was in that way, you know, they didn't all just stay in one location. They had a couple different hotels. They had they had designated buses that took teams from the hotels to the competition site or the practice site and then back. They, so they, they weren't all in just in one facility, of course. They were in several different facilities, but um, we learned a lot from them and still are in terms of how we'll conduct the games, making sure, for example, that we increase the amount of time between games in the NCAA tournament so that we can clean the court area, clean the bench area, clean the, the locker room area, disinfect appropriately. Normally, as you know, we play games about 30 minutes uh, you know, apart from each other. That won't be the case in venues this year. We'll have a significantly more time in between to deep clean those facilities and make everybody safe and healthy. Well, obviously, Indianapolis makes sense for the NCAA because it's headquarters, the staff is there. It was convenient that the 2021 Final Four is in Indianapolis, and I know it's not official, but why does Indianapolis also, just as a general destination for an event like this, and it hosts, I know, Indy 500 and other major events, but why does it make sense? Well, you know, it, first of all, it, it's a city that, that fans, players, coaches love, um, or, you know, playing, whether it's uh, college basketball or college football. Um, uh, you know, big events are successful in Indianapolis because it has the infrastructure to, to allow for those uh, success. So whether it's Lucas Oil Stadium, I feel has um, great venues in the city of Indianapolis, um, ample hotel space and convention center space, which is important as well. Um, and just a track record of success with major events. The Hoosier State, of course, uh, loves college basketball, as do many other areas in our country. Um, so there's a chance, you know, that this tournament will be embraced as it always is when the four is in Indianapolis. Um, and then, you know, the, the fact that the NCA is headquartered in Indianapolis, the staff is uh, located there for and where, where we live is, is, is important too, because from an execution standpoint, you know, pulling this off uh, in a very different model is going to be challenging and, and we're, we're going to make it happen. We're very confident that's going to happen. If it's in Indianapolis, it's all that much, um, you know, more more doable to do in an area where there's great experience and, and great relationships that we can leverage. And finally, I would just say, you know, from a membership standpoint, uh, the vast majority of the NCAA membership is east of the Mississippi River. And so, you know, it's a very centralized location uh, in Indianapolis where a lot of teams can get to very easily, um, you know, by bus even um, without flying. And so, um, you know, there's, there's many different reasons why it would make sense, but ultimately it has to make sense. We have to make it happen with the assurances we need to be able to conduct the championship in 
we're looking at it really in the most um, worst case scenario. While we're hopeful and optimistic about things being significantly better in our country in March and April and, and around, around basketball in particular, um, we're planning this as if things aren't going to be better and that we need assurances at a very basic level that we can conduct, conduct this championship safely and healthily and, and that we can you know, be successful start to finish. And so anything that you know, will be better than that going forward would be additive, you know, whether it's, you know, additional fans, if, if fans are not, um, you know, uh, initially um, going to be there, we don't know yet whether the fans will be included in the uh, consideration or not, but we need to have confidence that no matter what the condition, we're going to be able to have this championship uh, safely and responsibly, and then, you know, certainly plan with uh, contingencies that if things are significantly better, we add fans, more fans, we add more fan events, we, you know, and make it a much more kind of normal experience um, than it might otherwise be. All right, a couple of house cleaning items that um, I think you can answer uh, without being too specific on Indianapolis, but just in general, first of all, and either one of you, if you could take it for me, um, for a 68 team field for the first two rounds, um, how many venues do you think you would need? Multiple. Um, that's really all I can say at this point. Um, of course, you know, we play uh, a lot of games on, on those first two days of the tournament. Um, first round of the tournament, of course, first four would, you know, would uh, precede that. Um, we haven't determined exactly how many yet Andy will need. It will be multiple. It may not be the eight that we're used to, but it'd certainly be more than four. More than four, you say? Yeah, probably much closer to eight than four, but... We're still working on that. You know, that'll be determined by the availability of the venues, by the work we have uh, in planning and programming with uh, CBS and Turner. Um, but it will be multiple locations. And of course, as the tournament you know goes deeper, then we'll need fewer venues in order to be able to finish the tournament. So to that point, uh, because we don't know about fans, um, obviously, normally, uh, you know, we always like to have the, the, the capacity at a certain level. Uh, how much could that be waived that what an arena or gym holds may not be relevant to this particular event. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not going to be the overriding consideration, but of course we want to have the flexibility, as I mentioned, to you know to be able to accommodate, uh, you know, as we as we may be able to with fans, and um, so it's a consideration. Um, but at the baseline, the consideration is you know an excellent facility. It has all the you know back house and, and necessities that we need in order to be able to conduct a competitively fair tournament um, for the teams that are in it, and then hope that uh, you know that we may be able to have more fans then um, and, and then and plan accordingly. So uh, we will not be bound by you know by size of facility, as you know, Andy, um, because at the baseline we need to make sure that the games get played safely first. And I would assume you don't have to go into this, but I would assume it has to be at least modernized because. You, you couldn't have some tiny little cramped in a locker room, obviously, in these particular times when space will be certainly very important. All right, Selection Sunday happens. Um, just so people just have an idea, a rough idea, how soon after that Selection Sunday would teams arrive in said city, said region, before actual games could take place for you know testing or any quarantining that might need to take place? and maybe hopefully in a brief amount of time. But from the selection Sunday to when actually a game would take place, 
what's our time frame roughly what we could be looking at? Premature still to be determined and working with our medical advisor group, but um, I think it is very safe to say that uh, when normally we would be playing games at the first four, basically 48 hours after selection Sunday's uh, bracket announcement, that will not happen this year. Um, you know, we have time between the announcement of the field and to get teams into the, the geographic area, get them tested, get them quarantined, and make sure that they're safe to start the tournament. Um, so it will be it'll be some number of days. Um, and do we we do expect though that participating teams will come in um, to the host uh, location uh, pretty soon thereafter, collection Sunday, um, and get situated, get moved in the hotel, get tested, uh, 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 at least a, some level of quarantine period before they start practicing and getting prepared for their first game of the tournament. Mitch, one thing I've heard from a number of different conferences, they're still kind of deliberating on whether or not they're going to hold a conference tournament. Uh, I know from a committee's point of view, um, how you judge these teams Maybe obviously a one-off. It might be completely different this season. Uh, what would be your advice to to these conferences that have to sort of decide? You know, would it be worth it to hold a a um, a conference tournament to get into the NCAA tournament when we're not sure whether or not that's the right thing to do right now? Yeah, that, I think that's got to be at the discretion of the of the conferences. I, I I would not want to weigh in on what I think is best for them. They will know their situation better than us. I would say. Play as many games as you can safely play in a healthy way and protecting your kids as best you possibly can. There's opportunities um, here as we begin the season through the month of November, December, in a non-conference way for many places. Many schools and their conferences have gone to a conference-only format as, as of January, and, and we respect that. That's why that there's been some accommodations made in terms of minimum number of games to get into the tournament of 13. Um, there is a waiver opportunity if, if there's circumstances that are beyond their control and uh, that they, there's disruption in such a fashion that they would need uh, a waiver. There, there's that opportunity. But I think there's going to be decisions made by conferences, I would say, probably all the way up to mid-February as to whether they're going to be able to, to make decisions to play a conference term or not. And that, that won't weigh on the committees. The resume it will sit aside of itself void of a in my opinion, Dan can, can jump in here, but the, the tournament will not necessitate someone or, or fix their, their entire resume one way or the other. Um, they will we'll work our way through it like we normally would, and the tournament will have impact if they're allowed to play it, and there's some games in there that, that merit looking at. But at the end of the day, um, I think that the, we would like to see as a committee uh, the best faith effort that they can give to playing in a regular season, and we get to that. And and hope that we have an active and full march of conference tournaments and leading us into a really, really cool selection Sunday and give us a chance to have a, a tournament. But um, the, I, there's no question there's going to be disruption. So let's not, let's not mistake that. And let's not mistake the fact that it's not going to be equitable. It's not going to look the same for everybody. And we're just going to have to find a way to, to sort of dance the dance a little bit and, and work our way through the challenges of um, variances in schedules and in tournaments. And then, and then I think we've got nine or 10 really, really qualified people on well, myself and Will, where they've got a really great group in there that, that is really anxious to watch basketball games and really anxious to, to spend time with uh, the folks in college basketball to help put this tournament on. You know, Mitch, one thing when people bracket that uh, is more, one of the more difficult things is to figure out the regions. 
And, uh, you know, I, I know you're going to want to still avoid conference rematches in that first round, but taking that region out, if it is or ends up being more of a true seeding of matching everyone up based on seeding, how does that change the bracketing aspect of putting a tournament together? Appreciate that. And that, that's a, you know, that is something that we haven't had to deal with in previous years. So this will be new and, and we're going to go through the reevaluation of our principles and procedures um, with the staff and, and with um, the folks that just have sort of got the, the understanding of, of, of finding the right balance. And so we'll work our way through that probably in the next month or two and, and, and try and find a way as we begin the new year to be able to sort of uh, be very transparent about how we're, how we're going to do our work. And, um, but I think that um, that is something certainly on our hearts and on our minds, the geographic areas and, uh, have been a, a part of the, the bracketing, seating and bracketing pieces of this, that will change. And so uh, we'll examine that here over the next month and a half is also a part of putting on this tournament. And the last thing in terms of this, we already know the Ivy League has decided they're not going to have winter sports. Um, both of you have already said it's going to be a 68-team field. So uh, if the Ivy League's out and maybe others may not may, may follow, we don't know, um, is the plan still to have you know, automatic bids for every conference that has a conference season and then the rest spill over to at large? I would think that the obviously that's part of our, our principles we're going to have to go look at, I would say. But, I, I, you know, the goal is to honor what people have done. And the AQs is part of that process. And, and there's clearly some folks that have chosen not to participate. And, and that's their decision. And uh, that'll certainly create other opportunities for, for other teams. And so um, I would also just ask Dan's you know, expertise on this. He's been around it an awful long time and seen it. But I think this is going to be unique here, but I would say, yeah, we'll, we're going to look really hard to try and find a way to, to uh, we'll honor the AQs and make sure that we find a way to appropriately acknowledge the rest of the at-large big bids. Dan? Yeah, obviously it's unprecedented, you know, for the committee to have to address, you know, a conference that has decided not to play uh, a season at all. So we haven't really taken that up uh, specifically yet, but um, it, as to Mitch's point, it'll provide opportunity elsewhere potentially. And, um, you know, Mitch also mentioned that uh, there'll be more flexibility this year with conference determination of the automatic qualifier. So uh, upwards now until two weeks before Selection Sunday, conferences will be able to adjust how they're going to determine their AQ. Um, based on what may happen during the season. So it could be the conference at this point is planning on determining their AQ through their conference champion um, now that we're here in the, in the middle of November. But if they get to the middle of January, even February, and determine that they can't hold their conference championship for any number of reasons and decide to award the automatic qualifier to their regular season champion, they'll have that flexibility up until two weeks before selecting the Mitch, I want to give you the last word here. Um, we've seen this now with baseball, um, you know, certainly with, as I mentioned, the U.S. Open and, and the French Open, um, the NHL, the NBA, and the WNBA, of, of how hard it was to win these restart champion, championships. Now, on one side, they didn't have the travel aspect in those other sports, but they had the other aspects of it, the stress, the mental health aspect, the fact that, um, it was like something they've never done before, constant testing, masking when they're not actually playing. There was a lot going into actually accomplishing this championship. By the time we get to this championship game and you were there 
awarding that championship trophy, um, forget an asterisk here. How much do you think this tournament title will be one of the hardest to earn? I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think you add the other factor in this that they're students. They're student athletes, and they're still going to school this entire time, and they're going to have – they may be in a controlled environment, but they're still going to have obligations for their school. And so um, I think that that's an added stress that a lot of the other folks didn't have. And so I think that it will be – a very, very difficult championship to win. There is no asterisk. I'll be honest with you. It might be capital letters. Um, it might be, hey, this is took a championship effort. You'll have to be flexible. I've said it before. You have to be flexible. You have to be adaptable. And you have to be incredibly determined. It's going to take an incredibly disciplined, focused team. Um, and there's going to have to be a little luck in that. Um, there's going to have to be some good, good luck in that because the virus, as Dan says, all of a sudden pops up somewhere along the way and you've got an issue and you'll lose somebody on your team that you really needed or you're really counting on, or for that matter, it could be a staff member. And it, it, you're going to have to have a little good fortune and you have to have those three characteristics, in my opinion, to be able to win a very, very, very treasured championship in one of the most difficult uh, years in history. Mitch Barnhart, Dan Gavitt, appreciate all your hard work so far. And I know there's still many more hours to come of putting together what will be in an unprecedented tournament and still remains the greatest sporting event in the U.S. All right, as always, you can go to ncaa.org slash social series where we archive all our episodes. Go there and check them all out from the beginning through where we are right now. We're going to continue discussing this even next week during the holiday and uh, really in perpetuity. We are not going anywhere. We're going to continue to discuss this. Everyone stay safe. We'll talk again next week.